A reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. Come into the reading room, all you lovers of language and literature. This is the place for those of us who believe that reading is essential as we seek to rise above the ordinary. And the reading room contains a host of extraordinary people, leading lights of the written word. Authors, literary critics, columnists and ideas people will tantalize your minds with their wordplay while discussing the ideas and worldviews that form our wonderful literary milieu. Come step into a world of magic, the place of undiscovered treasures, a room of reading. And a very warm welcome to the reading room and joining us from Cape Town of all places. And this is the wonder of modern technology. We can talk to people anywhere in the world without any problems whatsoever and not even having to wear a mask. We've got Paige Nick, one of my favorite columnists of all time. One of the reasons I only bought the Sunday Slimes a lot of the time to read what she was writing about, a lot of it rather risque, and I think it caused quite a lot of trouble. Joining us to tell us what she's up to now, of course, we've got Paige. Hi, and how are you doing? Hello, Melanie. So nice to be here. And by here, I mean at home in my house, but also <laughs> there with you in Joburg. The nice thing is we don't have to wear masks or pants, really. Uh, do you want to stand up so I can have a look and check <laughs> never, on that? Never, never. No, okay. <laughs> you, you really did cause like a lot of scandal with that one column that you had. What was it called again? A Million Miles from Normal. Gosh, I mean, all of the, the stuff that you wrote about and people were shocked and horror. It was like this, this whole bombardment of like things that one does not talk about in, in polite company happening at one stage. I remember I used to get a lot of emails about that column and I knew if I wrote about certain things, I would get more crazy emails and one guy used to write to me all the time and and he would I don't remember his name he used to write and say how can you write about this it's terrible I'm never reading you again and then about two months later he would write to me again he would say well I read your column and I really regret it how can you write about this I'm absolutely definitely <laughs> never reading you again and then he would write again the next month this was awful you must try harder <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think people did get so upset by what you wrote? Well, it's sex, right? And sex. Yes, but what's upsetting? Everybody does it. I suppose so. Well, one hopes everybody does it <laughs> well, in one not, form or another. Some people don't do it as much as they should, and that's probably why they write to say, I hate your column. How can you write about this? <laughs> I don't know. Isn't yeah, that a that crazy is a bad thing, thing? That people are so offended by something that's kind of what everybody does? It's a very strange thing. I suppose I was writing about the crazy sides of it, you know, not not the most standard sides of it. So I suppose that was what caused the the fuss for some people. Well, I just found it more amusing than anything else most of the time. And I think people just, you know, maybe it's the, the, the blue stocking mentality um, of the the foot trackers. But interestingly enough, those it. are actually the people who enjoyed the column the most. Those were the, yeah. those were, that was kind of my biggest, were, were kind of an older, an older set enjoyed it. The, I suppose that those, they enjoyed it the most and the least. So it's interesting who gets offended by what. I remember I once wrote a column, one of the, the columns that I got the most angry emails about, and I felt quite bad about it, was that I'd said something um, about Afrikaans teachers 
wearing pantyhose and I'd been slightly derogatory about Afrikaans teachers. And then I just got a ton of Afrikaans teachers writing into complaints about <laughs> how I portrayed them. I felt quite bad about that. But have you found that over the years, people's sensibilities have changed somewhat? I mean, especially, do you have to really watch out for stuff that you're writing about when, you know, it's become from week to week things you can or can't talk about that might be just kind of, I even get it from my children going, no, mom, you can't talk about that. I'm like, why? It's a perfectly normal thing to talk about. Absolutely. Uh, it's much scarier writing now than it was writing when I first started. That column was in 2010. And actually, there wasn't much of a care in the world. And they never censored me or told me I couldn't write about anything. And I never really censored myself too much either. I had remember I wrote in the whole, I think it was a five-year span that I was writing the column every single week. Um, there was one column that they wrote back and they said, you can't write this. It was about um, a drug dealer that I knew. It was the only column that they ever like censored me on. But now when I write, I'm so much more careful and I'm actually a lot more terrified. Um, I get a lot of more these days as commissions. The editor write to me and say, can you write about, remember there was this whole woman were taking selfies and posting them and then tagging each other. And she, my editor wrote to me and said, would you like to write a column about this? And I, I really thought about it. I was like, oh, I'm just stepping into a, into a spider's nest here. It's such an inflamed topic. So I have to be so much more careful. And I actually turned down a lot more now than I would have 10 years ago because my, my whole ethos about writing is that I want to write things that people enjoy. I think the world is, we're in such bad shape. And this is how I felt 10 years ago. So imagine how much worse it is now. You know, there's so much bad stuff happening and so much negativity that I always just wanted to have a bit of fun and be that column at the end of the paper. Once you've read all the bad news, then maybe there's just a little something that can make you smile or laugh or want to share with somebody. So I have to be so careful because I I really am not out to offend anyone ever. And and it's dangerous. Why not? (laughs) I think we should all go out and offend as many people as possible. I mean, I'd like to likely offend. I don't want to like devastate anybody, you know, Um, and I think it's much easier now. Well, that thing that you're talking about with them tagging each other, I mean, uh, the whole thing is, I, I even said, what is this whole story about? My kids were telling, they eventually said, mom, don't do it. Because you know what? It's got nothing to do with just putting up a nice selfie of yourself. Okay. It's, this is what, and they told me what the story was. So when somebody eventually did nominate me, I just turned around and said, no, I'm actually going to put up pictures of women who have influenced me over the years, especially writers. So, well, that's a much better idea. That's what I did. I found beautiful pictures and every single person who had actually gone and put people, I don't know if they're still my friends, I have to be honest. (laughs) But (laughs) I went and I said, this is what I'm doing. This is what this is about. For all of you men who are wondering what this is about, this is what this whole selfie thing. Yes, it's lovely to see beautiful pictures of women, but this is what it's about. And I think by, you should have done something on that just to get people to understand what it was about because so many people had no clue. Ultimately, I wrote the column. And I was quite careful because, well, I had to be quite careful because just about all my friends, everyone I know had posted a selfie. I don't want to offend them or upset them. Oh, no, you had to offend all of them because they didn't know what they were doing. Well, you know, that's (laughs) the thing. And your idea is so much better. And it's so unlike women. I mean, we're so good at multitasking. Mm. We we hold the world up and we hold the world to a higher standard. And then I kind of feel like we fell apart with that. We kind of feel like we... We mucked it up a little bit, you know. We all just fell into the trap. Oh, I look beautiful. Here's a picture of me looking beautiful, and it has absolutely no meaning, and it's supposed to signify things that it doesn't signify. So mm. I did write about it, and I did feel strongly about it, and I'm glad you did that. I actually think that would have been a much better viral challenge, actually. Yeah. Where did it come out of the Middle East? Yeah, Turkey. 
Turkey, yeah. And the reason it was black and white was every day waking up and seeing in the news pictures of women who were dead now. And who'd been so, abused. Yeah, who'd yeah. been abused or, and had, had gone far enough that they had died. And that's why they were black yeah. and white images of, of women. So, yeah, surely it makes more sense to post pictures of women. But I think we got there in the end. I think people, I think what was interesting to me, a lot of people did dig deeper and want to know uh, what had happened with this. So what other burning issues are there at the moment that you have been writing about? Because, I mean, I know that we're going to get on to books in a moment because you're very much into reviewing books and um, being appreciative of books. But I'm always interested to know where people get their writing inspiration from. That's such a strange question and get asked it all the time. And I still don't know that I have an answer for it. It's kind of just something that strikes. It's just, Mm. I mean, I just wrote something about cheese, which is really odd because for why? I don't know. I think I was Somebody out running. Moved it. Yeah, exactly. I was out running and I was wondering why we say say cheese for the camera. Um and then that that was a weird thing. I don't know, you just get struck by a weird thought or something that you want to research or something that you want to figure out. It's because your mouth goes to a certain place when you say say cheese. Yeah. It's a bit more obvious than you think. But there was some interesting stuff about photography and photographs. Um, you know, in the old days, they weren't supposed to smile for a long time. You weren't supposed to smile in a photograph. Photographs were very, very serious. So I think they said, say prunes was what they said before <laughs> cheese. They said, say prunes. And then when people relaxed a little bit about photographs, then they started to say, say cheese. Anyway, so it's really not as deep and meaningful as I think you meant the question to be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blonde. Nothing is deep and meaningful. Come on. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> So well, what, where are you writing at the moment? Where can people read your writing? Well, Sunday Times, I still write the column. In fact, I was writing it regularly through lockdown. And now, you know, they're mixing it up with some other voices. So regularly in the Sunday Times. And then I'm all over Facebook. Uh, I run a book club in Facebook called the Good Book Appreciation Society. So I'm kind of there. That's my happy place. Very hard to find a happy place on the internet right now, especially on social media. Well, yes. Oh, my goodness. Isn't it just a cesspit? I mean, I'd left Twi- I committed Twitter side oh, purely because I could not deal with the negativity. thought, okay, fine, Facebook is okay. Now I'm like, I don't even want to go in there. I go on and say happy birthday to people, and then I head straight for Instagram. It's re- Instagram really does feel like the only saving grace. I kind of – I was away from Twitter for a really long time, and then I thought, let me try – the beginning of lockdown because I had a bit more time on my hands and I stepped back in and I noticed that I've just, I just don't even go there. It's, it's really no. a hard place. Eh? It is absolutely awful. And also, I don't think I, I would be on Facebook as much as I am if it wasn't for the book club. Well, the book club is wonderful and we are going to talk about that. What I want to bring up first is that what brought a lot of this together for me was when I watched you interviewing Marion Keyes because she was supposed to have come out to South Africa for the launch of her new book. And you ended up doing it online and people were able to join, which was such a wonderful thing. Do you like this idea or do, I mean, do you want, I mean, I just think it's like fantastic for carbon miles. You know, you can talk to authors wherever they happen to be in the world. We don't have to bring them out here. We can meet everybody online. Or do you find that a little bit kind of disturbing and you want to meet the person and talk to them and get the thoughts immediately from their brain? No, I love it. I, I think I... <laughs> I think I have a, a face for radio. I, you know what? I kind of like this. I'm a bit agoraphobic a little bit. I mean, I'm, it's not that I'm agoraphobic. I just think that I'm really awkward in real life. <laughs> I'm a lot more awkward in real life than I am over a computer. I think a lot of writers are like, 
And I think it's probably worse in my head than it is in real life. But I always feel like I'm doing something wrong or that like I'm spilling on myself or tripping or laughing too loudly or doing something too much. So I can kind of control it a bit more from my home. So I actually really enjoy it. And the exciting news, I don't even know if I'm allowed to tell, but um, they've asked me to inter interview Rachel Joyce next. So, Ooh. yeah, so that when is that going to be happening soon? I think that's the end of this month if all things go according to plan. So, I, I love that. I think it's, I mean, I've, I'm a little, I get a bit nervous, obviously. I don't know that I'm the right person. I think it should be somebody more serious or more important, but I just can do the best that I can do. And I love the book so much. So, I'm all right. It'll, hopefully, it'll be all right. What do you like reading the most? I mean, obviously, the stuff that I've kind of associated with you is, of course, Chicklet which yeah. I absolutely love. I, I, I do. I, I get very into it, and especially the Irish one, having lived in Dublin. I mean, you know, the way Marion Keyes talks and, and writes, I, I see it immediately. So it really affects me from that point of view. But as you said, some people are very serious. I'm not serious at all. How serious are you? I am not serious at all. I love Marion Keyes on Twitter is one of the nicest things about Twitter. She's just great. I'll read just about anything. I'm a bit of a book whore. I get sent a lot of stuff and I buy a lot of stuff. I'm a bit like, I'm like an obsessive book hoarder. My house is just piled with books. I mean, I don't know that I'll ever even get to them and I can't stop myself. I can't I struggle to walk past a bookshop. So um, I'm very into South African fiction. I don't read very much nonfiction. Um, I kind of feel there's so much coming out all the time. There's so much fiction and I love fiction so much that I almost feel like I'm cheating on fiction if I'm reading nonfiction too much. So that being said, I'm reading a memoir at the moment. I'm reading Feverish by Gigi Fenster. So I just read, I'll read anything really. And if it grabs me, then I'll, then I'll do it. I don't feel like I have a particular genre that I'm, that I'm loyal to. Did you have the problem during lockdown that a lot of people had where you had all of these books and you had all of this time, but somehow you just couldn't get into reading? I, really I know it was did. a big problem for a lot of people. I really did. I couldn't read. And actually, I was, I was trying to remember the book that broke my reading drought was an Ann Tyler. And I went to go look and it was June. It was early June that I read that, um, The Redhead at the Side of the Road. Um, and so what's that? March, April, I really struggled. I couldn't read. And then uh, I read uh, The Redhead at the Side of the Road by uh, Ann Tyler, which is a very gentle, very gentle, easy, slim read. And I think that kind of kick-started me. And now the strange thing is, how's this? I can't watch anything. I can only read. <laughs> I've done some kind of You binge of watch weird... too much. I, maybe. I can't actually, I have no desire to watch anything. Maybe the odd, like, real reality crap, like serious junk, which is a bit of my guilty pleasure. But I only want to read, which is a problem for my, my, my guy, the guy in my life, because in the evenings, you know, we can't go out very much. So 10 o'clock, everybody's at home. And he's like, should we watch something? Should we watch something? And in my mind, I'm like, oh, I just want to read. <laughs> can't you watch but something? We've ha been having this I mean, conversations. It's like we're sitting there and we think, oh, there's a nice series I want to watch. But then I also have a book. So yeah. it's, it's the fight to try and find the time to do both and I think that's one thing that lockdown did do for us was actually make us reevaluate what we do with our time and how much we can do when we're at home so much so that if you ever get around to going I'm so bored I was going to say what is wrong with you yeah are you reading again have you did you kind of manage to pick it up again yeah I managed to I kind of found a few books um, unfortunately you know the library closed and then I ran out of books 
and I couldn't get books from anywhere else. So I started reading a lot of books that I had either missed out on or decided I would reread um, and just looking at, at some books from a, a kind of a 20-year later perspective. So going back to the stuff I was reading when I was in my 20s and 30s and seeing if I read it differently these days, which I did, which is quite surprising. I started finding Tom Robbins really irritating, um, which is sad because he's my favorite author. Tried again to do the Atlas Shrugged thing and thought, no, life is too short to try that one twice. Um, and then decided to, well, my, my children said, Mom, have you read Catcher in the Rye? Have you read To Kill a Mockingbird? Uh, and I was like, um, Did you think, do I no. lie? Do I tell the truth? Do I lie? Do I tell I, the truth? I said, I've actually never read those two books, so I did read them. Oh, wow. Didn't really, didn't really change my world. <laughs> uh, but at least if they ask me questions, either they're writing about them for school, I can help them out with that. I'd rather still read Shakespeare, to be honest with you. I love it. But that's amazing because you always, I mean, I always say I want to do that. Go back and read all the books on my bookshelf that I loved and see if I still love them. So you were kind of forced mm. into it. It's such a nice exercise. And then there were also some books that people had given me, which were like newer things. Like, I mean, I, I love a lot of fantasy stuff. So Stephen Donaldson, yeah, um, he wrote White Gold Realder, the whole thing about Thomas Covenant. And there was a new book that came out, a new trilogy. And I, I kind of went, hmm, actually, I don't like the way that he's written this. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I, I just couldn't get back into it with the style of writing. It was far too pompous. And yeah. I, I kind of went, hmm, maybe not. So it's sitting there waiting. Um, it's, it's, trying, it's like trying to get into the pillars of the earth, you know. Yeah. One, one wonders if life is too short to read those books or if one just wants to have fun and yeah. read non-critically. Do you read critically or do you just read for fun or do you do a bit of both? I'm not a very academic person, to be honest. Um, I'm just mm -hmm. a person. I'm not a very, <laughs> I'm not a highly educated academic kind of reader. I am first and foremost forever a reader to escape and to enjoy. So I don't actually think I do read very critically. Since I've become an author, obviously, you learn so much about editing and about those kinds of things. And then those leak into your reading experience. So you can't just read a book. I'm judging the cover. I'm judging the blurb. I'm judging the length, the edit, all those things. So from that perspective, I'm definitely a bit more of an academic reader. But other than that, often I'll read a book and I'll go, yeah, there was lots in there that I was supposed to have picked up and I'm just not smart enough. But I still enjoyed it on my own terms. And I'm willing to recognize that I wish I was a bit more of an academic reader, but I wonder if it would affect my enjoyment of it. Yeah, I read, I read for love and money well, I sometimes found that, too. <laughs> well, you, you read for money, which is, I, I, I want that job, okay? I keep on saying to my publishers, listen, I want a job where I can read books and you know, I want to be a sub-editor. That's all I want to do. Listen, you'll be living in a very poor, shabby neighborhood and not much of a house if, if you're being Don't paid care. to Don't care. I want to read for a living. But now your book, books. Yes. What are you writing about? I mean, a lot of people obviously have seen your writing in the newspapers, but they don't know that you've actually published. Yes. So, so I published nine novels. Three of them were, were what we call porn, but I guess it's erotica. Three of them was a series of choose-your-own-adventure erotic novels that I wrote with Helen Moffat and Sarah Lotz under the name Helena S. Page. Um, and uh, those were really just sexy, silly stories. You know, I don't know if you remember those choose-your-own-adventure stories from when you were a kid. Uh, so we took that structure and brought it to, to erotica or porn. So, you know, a girl walks into a bar. She uh, comes across three characters, the barman, the guitarist, and a businessman. And if you want to go home with a barman, for example, turn to page 
69 for want of a better number. However, <laughs> you want to go it. home with the drummer, then you turn to this page, and then so you have these adventures. So there were those three. No, you can't take the drummer home because they, <laughs> they, 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 you'll never get rid of them because they're usually homeless. <laughs> <laughs> but I recall that the drummer wanted you to pee on him in the shower, and then you had to decide oh if gosh. you were going to let him pee on you in the shower. Sorry, blank that out if we're not allowed to say those words. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course we can. <laughs> You have to so, decide. Erotica. Yeah. I'm, so, just, I'm, I'm, tic- I'm tickled pink here. <laughs> well, if you want to be tickled pink, turn to page 42. If you want to be tickled brown, turn to page 68. No! <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. So then not everything that I write is, is disgusting or sexy. As, and then the other novels, there are three that are, I suppose, could be termed chiclets. I think of them more as women's fiction, not because I don't like chiclets, but because to my mind they're more mainstream women's fiction and then I wrote a banting spoof where I murdered Tim Noakes on the first page why did you want to murder Tim why 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 did you want to kill him (laughs) (laughs) well I just thought that if somebody did murder him there would be so many suspects how would they ever find out who did it because there were so many people who were getting at him I wrote a banting spoof and then a political spoof which was kind of not so thinly veiled about Jacob Zuma. He's just been released from prison for uh, an ingrown, on medical release for an ingrown toenail. <laughs> and he's trying to become the president again. So, so uh, yeah, some silly things, you know. And um, I'm not really working on a book right now. I think the markets, the, the book market, the publishing market's a little bit, uh, not a little bit, the publishing market is really, really tough right now. And um, I, I'm taking a breather from mm-hmm. writing books for the minutes and might come back to it but it's just a massive amount of work and sales i mean i I write because i love it but also you know it's a huge amount of work it has to at some point be worth somebody's while and at the moment it's just not so i'm trying Mm. my hand i just uh, been writing some series under lockdown some tv series one that pitched to the bbc and some other things so trying some different forms which is actually really enjoyable as a writer to try some different forms. Who knows? We'll see what happens. Definitely to diversify a little, yeah. Right, so when it comes to books and the Good Book Appreciation Society, where did that start? Why did it start? And how many members are there on Facebook these days? Oh, it's such a happy place on Facebook. I love it. Um, So, I don't know, maybe 12 years ago, I belonged to a book club at work. I worked with these amazing people at an ad agency called King James here in Cape Town. And there were a group of us who were absolute book lovers. And um, so we used to meet every Friday at lunchtime and have a little uh, book club at the office. And uh, I think there were eight of us. And then slowly, the strangest thing happened. We became too busy. And I think it wasn't just us. I think it's the world became very busy. We didn't actually, we stopped taking lunch. And, and then people started to leave the agency and the book club kind of fell apart. And so we decided, why don't we just um, start it on Facebook and then we can still meet with the same eight of us and talk about books. And then somehow 12 years later, there are 13 and a half thousand members and it's a very active club talking about books purely. Which is great. I mean, I, I belonged to a book club at one stage, but then I, I've never kind of been, I've always been a fairly solitary reader and a fairly solitary academic crit. 
Um, and then I read, no, I don't want to join a book club by Virginia Ironside and thought, well, I agree with everything there that she's saying. So I left the book club. But I'm loving the, the space on Facebook and finding new reads as well. Oh, I need to read that. And I just you made me think of something. We were, we were so ahead of the curve when we moved from in real life to an online book club. Look how we were like 12 years ahead of the curve. <laughs> Now everybody's doing that now. You're <laughs> <laughs> talking about the age that one should. What, what age should one be in a book club? I, I went to my first meeting thinking we're going to sit and we're going to discuss books. You know, uh-huh. like in the what was the um, the Anne, uh, the Jane Austen book club? The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Society. That movie. I thought, yeah, it's going to be like that. And no, it wasn't. It was just a piss up. There you go. <laughs> Isn't that? I mean, I suppose that's all we're missing. Is I is... got it wrong. <laughs> no, you actually got it right. <laughs> <laughs> Books and alcohol, what could go wrong? It's the perfect mix. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, I mean, what, what kind of, do you ever have people who get upset with your point of view? Do you have people fighting with each other about whether a, a book is good or not? I mean, because it has to be a good book. So what kind of criteria are there to ensure that a good book is actually placed on the list and not one that is kind of ho-hum? There are very few criteria. And of course, what's a good book for you and a good book for me are two totally different things. So it's actually not really about good books anymore. It's just about books. I think we're very nice to each other on the whole, and there isn't a lot of fighting. There are definite opinions. And I love Lynn Sampson, um, the columnist. She's in the club, and, and she has very definitive views. And, and, I, and I love reading her comments because she'll come in and say, this, everyone will rave about a book. The, the Gentleman in Moscow has been a very popular book during lockdown because it's about a man who was locked in a hotel. He couldn't leave a hotel, I think, for for his whole for his adult life he couldn't leave a hotel so it's been a very popular book club, mm-hmm. book in the club and so like 150 people say how much they love it and then lynn samson jumps in and, and said oh, this is a terrible book it's the worst book it's a horrible book it's so inaccurate <laughs> <laughs> so i love that it's a very kind of friendly mm-hmm. way of disagreeing i think um a lot of authors um don't love me for the club because i don't allow promotion so I've dealt with, I think mm-hmm. I've seen authors join the club and realize that they can't promote their books and then leave the club. So that's been, that's been for me a bit of a tension and a, and a hard thing to deal with. Um, but I think there are authors who've realized that they can become part of the community and that that's valuable to them as authors because um, as the admin of the group, it's very important to me that it's a place for readers. It's not a place for writers. Um, There are lots of places out there for writers to promote their work, but this is very specifically for people to talk about what they're reading. And as soon as an author comes in and talks about their book, it's not to me unbiased anymore. It's not like a a word of mouth. And I think the most valuable um, promotion of a book these days is word of mouth without a trusted word of mouth, without a doubt. So, yeah, so that's been mm. a bit of a tension in the club. I have noticed that authors who come in and become part of the community, that there is a value for them in that, in a sideways way. You know, because you get to know somebody in the books that they that they read. Uh, for Gail Schimmel, for example, she's a voracious reader and she's always posting about what she's reading. And then I think if you go to a bookshop and you see, oh, there's a Gail Schimmel novel. I, I know her from the club. Look, she's written a book. And then, you know, that's a mm. way to an author's book. 
Now, which authors do you actually like here in South Africa? I mean, I have my very firm favorites as well, people that I love reading and I can't wait for the next book to come out. Um, Dion Mayer being one of them. I know some people don't like him. I think he's fantastic. Who do you like a lot? Who do you appreciate? I appreciate Dion Mayer. I actually love him. I think he's a fantastic author. God, there are so many. Helen Moffat launched her Charlotte last night. It's a book that picks up where Jane Austen left off. So I love that novel. It's amazing. I just finished reading a book by a debut author. I don't know her. Her name's Mia Ardern. It's called Mermaid Fillet. And it's a noir. Mm-hmm. It's billed as a noir crime novel. And I just think it's fantastic. I feel I'm not cool enough for this book. But I read it and I loved it. It's very slangy and it's kind of set in Cape Ganglands. So it's the Cape Town that you'll never know. And I can't wait to see what else she writes Mm. because to find a new author who's local, uh, who writes something that you can love is is a real gift because now I have the rest of her career to enjoy, you know, everything else that she's going to bring out. Um, I just read Lauren Bucus's um, new one, Afterland. You know, there are certain authors who you will buy their latest book regardless of the topic. And so Lauren is one of those. Michiel Haynes yeah. for me is one of those. I love everything Michiel Haynes writes. Gosh, there's so many. I Recently I read uh, Nine Letters by John Webb. That's another local author who I can't wait to see. It was also, I think, a debut. And I can't wait to see what else he writes. It's a fantastic um, novel. Fiona Snikers, her lacuna I thought was phenomenal. Well, you've put me on the spot now because there are dozens, but how am I ever going to think of them? People are so used to going out and like walking into a bookshop and buying like the latest James Patterson. And I think that the fact that there's people who are now talking about South African authors who are writing just as well about stuff which is actually quite close to our hearts, I think is fantastic. And the more that people actually push that, I mean, like Lauren Bjorkus, and I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the other people whose books I've absolutely loved and appreciated. And I can't wait to see their next books come out. Yeah. I'm so glad that you're doing this and, and that they've given people this option now that they can see, hey, look, we've got all of these people. And, and Paige Nick says she's fantastic. <laughs> no, we really do have amazing talent. And I always think like if you go to a bookshop and you're going to buy two books, try and you, you know, you always gravitate to your favorite international author try to buy an international and a local as well um, and, and give it a shot, you know, because you just don't know what you might discover. And there's something, and, and this mermaid fillet, this Mia Odern, there's something, and Dion Mayer, I find, they, they write in Cape Town. Oh, it's such a joy to read a book set in the city that you live in. I love that. You know, you can recognize all the places or the restaurants or try and put a place name to, to a place. Um, and, and like, that's so valuable in a read for me. Definitely. I mean, I, I just want to read more and more. And I, I find that it gets really exciting for people when they suddenly get something brand new. And uh, why, why shouldn't we appreciate what we have here? Overseas is not naturally better. And as I'm also reading a lot more African books as well, not just South African books. I just read a book um, set in Zimbabwe, Tsitsi Dungarimbe's novel. I'm sorry to to mash <laughs> to mash her name because um, it's called this mournable body, but it was uh, long listed for the Booker Prize. And on the Good Book Appreciation Society, somebody had alerted to us the fact that she had been arrested in Zimbabwe, and then later she'd been let out on bail. And it's horrific. But what we can do is support these authors, go out and buy their books, and see what they're writing about. And it is close to home. 
it's been a really edifying, I'm really kind of enjoying those reads and I'm starting to look out for those more as well. Mm, I'd like to see a lot more of those coming up. So I'm really hoping that you will come and join us in the reading room and actually you know, do book reviews and author reviews and all of those kind of things with us in the future. I think that it's a, a very, very pertinent thing that you'd be doing for people to, what's the word, broaden their minds a bit, not brighten their minds. We can do that anyway, <laughs> reading your, your erotica. But um, you're definitely, from the point of view of expanding <laughs> expanding their knowledge when it comes to what they should be reading. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to go and find this erotica now, I have to be honest. <laughs> really? There's, there's not much to it. I'm not going to lie. It was really just a very silly read. I'd love that. I'd love to chat about I mean chatting about books is one of my favorite things to do so I think that would be really lovely as long as you promise you're not going to try and chat about what was that thing called Fifty Shades of Grey that I managed to get through I think a hundred pages of the first one and thought I'm too old and too tired to read this crap you know what I read all three were there more than three I read three of them I don't know if I did I did I was so curious about them about how they'd done well and why they'd done well that I read them out of morbid fascination um, and just to kind of I wanted to get to the bottom of them. And, of course, it was research at the time we were writing our erotica shortly after that as well. So kind of wanted to see, no, that was really terrible. But that being said, they may have been terrible books, but, geez, did they get people reading? I mean, what a gift to the… That's also true. Yeah, what a gift to the world of books that to get to create readers. And it's such a rare thing. I think it happens like once a decade or so, maybe even less that there's a, maybe even more, but that there's a breakout book like that or series that just globally captures the world's heart. Well, it didn't capture my imagination at all, um, to be honest yeah. with you. Mainly, I think, because the writing was dire. That was the biggest problem. It was really dire. I hope that we will catch up with you. We can have some more irreverent and irrelevant conversations about books and about reading. And, you know, people will buy into this whole thing and create this world of a mystery and imagination, even if it does go sideways sometimes. So, Paige, thank you so much for joining us. And we will catch up with you again really soon. Wonderful. Thank you so much. What fun to talk about books. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.